Hello, Faith. Welcome back to the frontier. Well, thank you. This is um, episode like eleven for you. How many episodes have you done so far? In this this season, I've done one. So. Um, oh, it feels like you've been here for every episode of this. Well, that's nice. <laughs> I'm following along. I'm watching. I'm a fan of the show. Oh, you're watching? Are you watching on YouTube? Mm-hmm. Nice. And, yeah, and and other platforms. Quick plug, um, we're on I, YouTube. I like it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, smash that like button or whatever <laughs> you're supposed to say. Yeah, I don't know what the kids do on YouTube. I'm such a, like, traditionalist when it comes to my podcasts. I want them in my ears. I want to be listening to them while I, like, rake leaves or walk the dog or something. I can't, I can't watch, you know? Oh, interesting. Yeah, for sure. I, I had the same thing because most of the time I'll, I'll, I do podcasts in the car. Mm-hmm. And so to think of it video, is, it's almost like a special event. Like, oh, this has video. I That's have to true. watch it. I have to consume this in a completely different environment, context, yeah. you know? It, I mean, it works for some people. That's why YouTube is a thing. But I think I'm just like such a freak about multitasking that it's hard for me. Yes. But I do miss, I was thinking the other day, like the time that I used to spend in the car, just getting back and forth from the office made me a smarter, more curious person because I was always listening to something. Yeah. And I think that, I think that's a great point. And I think a lot of people are probably feel the same way, you know, that I, I certainly, I certainly miss the commute side more than I miss the office side Yes, in, in, in a lot of ways. Like some days that's not true. Cause I hated, you know, like rush hour traffic and whatnot. And I kind of wish I could be doing something different, but there was some value in that you know yeah. um, there's some value in a commute sometimes so yeah there I is yeah it's like a, also a clean transition which there are no more transitions in my life it is <laughs> wake up and open the laptop and yeah. the laptop is just my constant companion i think i need to work on that actually um, well you've got you're gonna have a great new office space so you can have a, you can have a brisk walk to the uh to the office let me tell you the lead up to this office i think has been like more dramatic um and like longer than any sort of like blockbuster film that has been released this year <laughs> it's been like coming soon right. face office and right. six months right. later how's the office still mm-hmm. not still not there uh, it'll be great in the meantime i'm day. just yeah day we're taking day. it day by day <laughs> Well, Gray, this episode is basically like product management 101, I think. Like when I was sitting down to prepare for it, it was like, this is basically like, here's what product managers do um, and how to think about corralling all that stuff. So we're talking about how we decide what to build. And when I think about our GitHub for the product, it is the Wild West. There are infinite things that are engineering team could be working on at any given time and they rarely fit nicely together into you know puzzle pieces that make sense and tell a larger story but like somehow you have to do that that's your job mm-hmm. so i guess to start let's maybe like establish who you are and why people should listen to you about this <laughs> you've been on the podcast before so if people want to hear the long story they can but like tldr like how did you get into product TLDR got into product a long time ago um, in a with a SaaS app that was in the market and had traction. We had tons of customers, and we realized that 
we didn't have a product roadmap. We didn't have a product function. And the engineers were busy actually refactoring the underlying architecture. So they didn't have time to do it. So a co-founder and I basically said, what do we, what do we want this to look like? And so he and I sat down and basically formed the, the, the product function in, in the company. And so there was a lot of learning on the go and a lot of mistakes, right? Like inevitably you're going to make mistakes, but, but that was certainly like a trial by fire. And then, so since then, um, you know, was able to help build that team and saw that company go from, you know, very small to very large and, um, it's, and the products, um, go from small in scope to very large in scope. But usually it's more of what we're talking about today, which is, you know, how do you decide? What do you build? What's, you know, how, how do you right size something? How do you put a, you know, uh, your head around, you know, disparate concepts, maybe from dis- different teams that have a common through line. It's, it's the, it's sort of the nuance of like the, what to build stuff that dovetails inevitably with business strategy. It dovetails inevitably with, you know, workflows and, and goals of KPIs and business and teams. So it's much more sort of on the business side of, of, you know, the, the why and the what, not so much the the how. That's for much much smarter people than me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see if we can get the engineering team in here. Cool. I am very fascinated. I didn't realize that you kind of built the plane while you flew it. Um, as it relates to like learning how to be a product manager. When I think of product management, it feels like something to me that you kind of need to read the books about. Like you can do it as you go, but there's like so many people have created frameworks and methodologies that are kind of widely accepted um, as best practice. So Mm -hmm. I'm curious, like, how did you do that learning? And also, how do we think about that here? Like what sort what sorts of frameworks and prioritization methods do we use? Yeah, it's a great question. And in the beginning beginning of my product journey, I didn't know what I didn't know. So a lot of the stuff that was established um, in terms of, you know, how to think about product and, and what are even best practices were to, to a large degree, just being established for, for SaaS platforms. Um, they mm-hmm. were being established at that point for, you know, startups and, and how to think about, you know, the notion of an MVP has not always been around. The notion of a minimum viable product is, is an offshoot of, Steve Blank's work and, you know, lean startup stuff and mm-hmm. agile manifesto and all that, which is it's in the, in the grand scheme of technologies is new. These are all new ideas, new, new ish ideas. So a lot of this stuff was, is establishing best practices by trial and error, and then trying to consume as much about what other people were having success with and, and what, what these sort of nascent methodologies were starting to say and why. And so, um, you know, from in those early days, there wasn't there wasn't much to to go on in terms of you know established frameworks and and, and that sort of thing. And and now you're right. There there are lots of really smart people who have sort of figured out a way to to you know reduce down um a, a at least a, a a mental model about you know how you should think about things. But it's but it's ultimately at the end of the day, they're all basically kind of dissecting the same thing which is how do you take complex ideas and break them down into smaller ones and then how how important are those ideas to do now versus later i mean it's prioritization and it's and it's complexity and part of you know the inherent in agile development is it are are those two things it is how can i build something of value in the shortest amount of time Mm -hmm. and so 
time and value are core components of what you're doing. And so, you know, what we don't do anything that's magical, you know, that, that is, that's, uh, you know, above and beyond, you know, those two sort of core principles. Um, but we do have some things that sort of guide our thinking and we can get into, in, into some of those things if, you know, but I feel like I'm, I've been talking for like three straight minutes. So yeah. like, maybe I mean, <laughs> another question in there. <laughs> I want to get into that because I, I feel like the easy answer to this question is like, yeah, we use Kano and that's just, you know, by the book, that's what we do. But it sounds yeah. like we have something that might be a little bit more, I mean, not, not proprietary because you're right. Like everybody kind of works off the, the grid of value versus complexity, but I'd love to hear you describe it and maybe we can coin the term and trademark it and you and I can go write a book and that'll be our retirement plan. So we start it here. Okay. Sweet. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's, let's riff. And so like, um, I think for us, okay, let me, let me reset for us. Yeah. We have to strike the balance. This is not true with all, all, all apps, but for us, it's really important if, if we want to start at the top of what we're trying to do as a business, it's really, it's really important for us to balance the needs of our many stakeholders with, with the business's need to be unique and differentiated and, and, and innovate. And so let's, let's just pause there really quick, because I feel like there's going to be folks listening to the, to us who might be a, a more traditional SaaS company where they're building with really one main customer, which is mm -hmm. their, their buyer, right? Like their end user. Mm -hmm. um, and you mentioned we've got lots of stakeholders. So the product team, our product is a product that's used by two different end users. Um, mm -hmm. So hires and job seekers. Right. And also, I don't, maybe you could throw a percent on this, but not a small portion of our entire code base is built just for gun.io staff. That's right. And there are key stakeholders as well, because, you know, Gun delivers value through human interaction, primarily, mm -hmm. you know, the, 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 the relationships, um, the, the nuance in, in matching um, a, a, a developer with a company, maintaining a relationship with the client over time to be a partner with them and hiring. All these things are, um, are, are sort of human centric in terms of what bonds uh one of our uh users to us mm -hmm. you know the relationship that devs have with our devrel team in order for them to really get to know our talent and really understand things like aspirations things like industries think about like the types of challenges and the types of teams that they're where they're going to thrive all these things are are very difficult to capture in mm -hmm. a database you know they're they're predicated on relationships and so what we have to do is uh, is build staff tools that do the things that robots should do while facilitating the things that only humans can do right now. Mm -hmm. And then maybe over time, and we'll get into this, like the innovation is how do we start to chip away and learn about what those human, it, those really nuanced human interactions are and start to chip away at what that might mean to, to productize those or, or to automate those in some way. So yeah, like... Um, our internal stakeholders are, are uh, it's a huge part of our the consideration set when we're thinking about what to build and why and, and where we want to focus our, our energy. A lot of the m more innovative things that we've done as a team have not been end user facing. They've been, they've been uh, internal staff holder, uh, uh, staff 
uh, stakeholder facings. And they're very discreet, right? They, they, everyone wants, at the end of the day, everyone wants to make connections and, and find great, you know, um, find great gigs. But the the workflows and the the types of conversations that our talent are having in you know the, the, the data that that we're collecting in the app, the relationship that with they're building with DevRel, the interactions that they have with with one another in, in our communities is a just a very different thing than what hiring companies are coming to the table with their own set their own world, right their own context, their own industry, their own strategy their own teams. Um, and then they're coming to us to really sort of understand that and, and then pair them with this other side. So that the contexts are, are really very different. Um, and then obviously, you know, internal staff trying to, to blend that um, again and facilitate those interactions. That's a completely different context than either two end users. Right. So, yeah, I mean, that, that, that adds a layer of it adds a layer of complexity that maybe a typical SaaS app doesn't have. Like to your point when, you know, if, if, if the SaaS is, if, if it's selling this set of features to this kind of user, yeah, you may have two or three different types of personas that are using that, but they're, they're, they're buying the app. Right. And in this case, they're not buying the app. They're, they're buying the outcome of the collective team and the product and everything. So um, it's just, it's just a different flavor. So at the very top of our prioritization framework is like identifying the customer, the stakeholder, the end customer of the, of this, the Epic or the, the set of issues. What happens next? Yeah, I think identifying is, is, is true. Um, understanding is a whole different thing. And right. so I think um, having expertise in the different domains is is super critical for us um because they are you know like i said they're just very different contexts um and so the the talent domain is very different than the sales domain um and so really having a fundamental understanding of of what that space looks like is is key and that's the lion's share of the time and then that ultimately leads to the collaboration aspect of it, which is, okay, we're, we're both seeing the same challenge here. How can product bring some notion of creativity to, to the solution set and, 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 you know, provide some kind of context for, for the, for the stakeholder to give feedback on that. So like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's identification and then it's, it's, then it's really understanding and then it's, and then you can get to something that is, you know, a, a wild idea or something that's a little bit more sort of tangible in terms of the solution. So the solutions, you know, once you do the first two things, right, the solution thing is it, it's not always the hardest part. Right. As somebody who is, I feel like I've gotten better at this over the years, but I'm definitely like a, a feature happy teammate. Like I, used to just dump everything into GitHub is like, we need to build this now. How cool is this idea? Um, so I'd love to hear about our process for deciding what to say no to, hmm. because feasibly, you know, everything is, would be net positive, but we cannot build everything. We're still a pretty small scrappy team. How do we decide what to say no to? I think unless it's just an idea that's misaligned with with the strategy of the business, it, it's less no and and more like no now, mm -hmm. because most most ideas to your point, we're a small team and um, at this point, and, and we we know our domains pretty well and can can articulate what we need to to build and uh, and functionality and that sort of thing. So we don't really have, I don't think, um, 
our problem isn't that there are just these crazy ideas that everyone wants and there's no place to put them and they're misaligned. I think, I think a lot of it is, is when and, and what, what are we trying to drive that this helps do? Mm. And right. So it's, it's more about aligning the idea with the, the business outcome on a timeline, if that makes sense. Right. Because there are plenty of things that are great ideas that we could do today, but they, if we did them, they would be outpacing the progress on another team that needs to have a couple things in place before that's really going to make sense on, on this other side. So it's a little bit of the, of trying to build the whole thing sort of equally, mm-hmm. um, that, that, that in the two sides plus the staff tools in between. Um, don't outstrip the pace of any other aspect of, uh, of the, of the app or the business. Right. So I'd say it's more of a timing question than it is like, wait, how on earth are we ever going to do something like that? I would add to that, like timing is a factor and obviously naming what results we're trying to drive. But I, I would say another question that you often push back on is like, how have we tried this already? Like, how are we doing this manually now? to prove that productizing it is the right choice. Yeah, that's a great point. And and I think that for technology companies, having, being, you know, everyone's, everyone I think would probably say that they're data-driven, you know, um, but- <laughs> No and, one wants and, to say, no, 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 we just, it's, it's no, all we're not, qualitative we're totally gut-driven. <laughs> that's right. So everyone's data-driven, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the, the way that you're collecting the data or the way that you're interpreting the data, it, it leads to a, a clear next step. Mm-hmm. And so I think that what, what does inevitably is, is to your point is pushing back on, all right, well, what was the methodology that led to the data and then how are you interpreting the data from there? Um, and so what that does is it puts pressure on teams to be really intentional about the things that they sort of want um, and then have an, a clear A B about you know what how to, how to accomplish that the most most efficiently because writing code and, and and getting a product team involved in building features is a, a very expensive way to go about stuff mm-hmm. and so you need a certain level of certainty there but at the same time you know sales teams are sales teams and marketing teams are marketing teams and um, and operations teams are operations teams and they're very focused on the things that they're, that only they do, you know, and they do, they do really well. They're not, they're not thinking about like data driven experiments and AB testing over some time period to like, they're just not, that's not their thing. So I think for, for technology companies, uh, and one of the things that we're trying to do is really, in, you know, in, imbue product technology thinking into the way that the teams plan their quarters or years or whatever. And that's going to necessarily include a a pretty introspective look at, hey, where are we today? Where do we want to be? What are the things that are in the way of that? And how do we test something in a fairly short period of time first, so that whatever we ask for makes a ton of sense? Because that's how product teams ultimately get get faster. If you're constantly reacting, you're always going to feel slow. Mm-hmm. Um, but if, if everyone's doing their homework and we can get, like so, what I said, the solution side of the equation isn't always the hard part, like, right. it's the pre, it's the homework that goes into that, that really that you, that you, that if each team can come to the table with sort of product like thinking, 
or if product can actually help facilitate that in other teams, then then it will feel like your cycles really increase. Right. And without that, that kind of period of experimentation and the diligence around that, it's impossible to have the complexity versus value conversation because right. you have you have no way to grasp potential value of that that feature. That's right. I'm curious about the way that we or just gen- in general, you know, you've got some experience with some great product teams. You've seen I think the full gamut of how this works. You mentioned if you're always reactive, you're always going to feel slow. And I feel like when I look at the the work to be done um, in the product and engineering world, there is a massive uh, kind of collection of disparate requests that might be kind of one-off issues that are quick fixes to, you know, reports of bugs to feature requests that are like maybe blocking somebody and are simple, but require a context change. And then, you know, bigger picture stuff that's like, you know, if we're, if we do this and we do it well, it's going to be a huge needle mover for the business. How do we go about kind of like managing and organizing that work? Um, Is it, is it a a question of ownership? Um, Or do we think about our sprints as like thematic based on the, the kinds of work that's being done? I think we think of our roadmap thematically. And, and I think, uh, and, and I think, to me, it's, there's a, um, to me, there's balance and, and think, it, you know, if you were going to, you, you did this, actually, you did this, so you can probably speak to it. If you're going to, if you say, I want to run a marathon in the spring, then there's a strategy of how you're going to get from, I've never run a marathon to, I want to run a marathon, right? There's mm-hmm. a, there's, there's a thing that there's a roadmap for that. And it has like big blocks in it, you know, which is I need to be, it's, it's, I need to hit some milestone at some point in the future to know that I'm on track. Um, but then there is, I, I need to start every morning. I need to, I need to drink 30 ounces of water and big every morning. Yeah. There's maintenance and there's main, there, there's that. So if I drink 30 ounces of water every morning between now and the time the marathon hits, uh, I'm not going to be able to run a marathon. There are other things <laughs> that I need to do other than that, but right. that is also extremely important. So I think that, you know, when we think about it, we, we are very intentional about making sure that we have balance across our milestones, whether that's a, that's a, our white milestones are basically weak sprints. Um, and we tend to think of sort of a monthly horizon as, as a, as a decent sort of, um, more ethic oriented milestone. So each, each week is it needs balance each month needs balance each quarter needs balance and and then a, a year time frame needs balance because if you're not chipping away at something that is unknown and maybe really large in scope then you're never going to but mm-hmm. we don't expect to finish but we absolutely right. do expect to fix a bug as soon as we hear about it and so the balance is over what horizon and what scope uh and then what level of solution is known versus unknown. Mm-hmm. If you strike a balance in, in every increment of work around those things, then then you're going to be the the, the, the marathon will be here and you'll feel prepared. You yeah. know? Um, but but if you you know 
if you're short-sighted and you're reactive and you know there are tons of bugs and all the workflows are broken you know you may not be able to be balanced i mean the thing's on fire so <laughs> but under normal operating conditions you i i think that you should you should have a fairly almost almost 33 33 33 of like close time horizons mid time horizons and and innovate even if that's i don't know what it is mm-hmm. even if it is I'm going to spend, it's like 20% time. I'm going to spend 20% of my week thinking about a, a space that I have no known solution for, but it's a really interesting question. That's, I think, how product teams can stay, um, to, to, can have a consistent pace and actually hit longer term goals. That's a really good insight. I feel like product teams, there's never going to be a shortage of short to mid horizon requests coming in or ideas. But the thing that we have to be intentional about is keeping something that's more of a uh, like an innovative challenge pinned. Um, that's more of like a year out kind of thing. That's really that's good insight. And much more fun for, uh, on oh, to yeah. collaborate with with other teams on than why does this workflow suck so bad? <laughs> You know what yeah. I mean? Like, it's just, that's just kind of mundane. But, yeah. but if you, if you're intentional about it, and again, like, I think this is the part about, you know, product and engineering teams, I think have the responsibility and technology companies to model behaviors in other teams. And this is where I think, you know, product um, can really influence, positively influence the way that the business functions is by taking these sorts of principles and, 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 and taking them to other teams pulling other teams in and collaborating with them, introducing other ways of thinking about problems, I- introducing, especially for very high paced teams that are very much in the now, a different time horizon as a, as a mental break um, for directionally in the business. I think all those are also responsibilities of, of product and engineering to the business. Speaking of collaboration, you mentioned earlier when we were talking about your process for prioritization how important it is to understand your customer and whether that customer is an internal team or an end user that's external to the company. And I think we are kind of at this point as a business, and I'd imagine many listeners have been there as well, where we're moving from historically being a pretty small team where everybody, just by nature of our roles, absorbs through osmosis what's going on in other departments. Um, so we're just kind of getting to the size now where our our teams are becoming a bit more siloed and we have to be a lot more intentional around how we collect those requests from teams, how we understand challenges that teams are facing, even if they haven't quite identified the challenge themselves. And I think our product team does a really good job of staying connected and keeping those kind of lines of collaboration open with other teams. So can you walk us through how you approach that? Um, yeah, I think, um, thank you, by the way. <laughs> yeah. um, that's really important to us. I think transparency is is one of, especially in remote teams, and, and so many companies are remote now, and so many engineering teams are remote, even if their core company is not. You know, one of the things that we hold very dear in terms of values of the team is transparency because it's important to know what is happening in the product, right? It's important to know when and why and what's released and how to use it and all of that stuff that, you know, from the output side of the equation. But maybe more importantly is the input side of the equation because 
we then become the lens for teams into other teams, you know, because it's unlikely that sales and and operations are going to talk all that much above and beyond sort of getting a contract filled or sales and and our DevRel team are going to talk that much beyond fulfillment on a specific job, finding a candidate for a specific job. But they're not going to have sort of, hey, what are your long-term goals? What are your strategic things that you're trying to hunt down? So they, so product needs to provide a lens into the the strategic directions and what's important on a quarterly time frame, say, uh, for for other teams. So it's the input side of the equation where transparency, I think, really helps. And so if you have if you have product managers that are um, dialed in with the team. That can translate some of those things, obviously at the product level, but but you know at the business level first. Like, how are we how are we translating that into business needs, um, and how are we sharing that um, and and cross pollinating across across teams, sharing what we release, providing the why about what why why these things were were even built in the first place, really can help illuminate what's going on at a, at a more holistic level in the business to your point and it really does break down silos we sort of feel like we're the hub of of a, of a multi-spoke wheel you know yeah and i would say as an outsider who does not sit on the product team the tactical things i experience are like you and i meet bi-weekly to just kind of share ideas and challenges across product in my area which is growth marketing um products uh, planning meetings are often open. And so if anybody has, if anybody's coming to the table with, um, something that they want to advocate for, um, you know, here's the experiment I ran, here's why I think we should have, like make this part of our roadmap. Um, those meetings are open, which I think is really encourages, um, that sort of collaboration. The product actually sends an MPS survey to other teams, which I think is, Unique. I think maybe in larger companies, teams send MPS surveys to each other, um, especially if they're end customers and internal team. But, you know, we mentioned kind of why our product is unique. And I think I think that's just a really cool way to see, you know, are we are we communicating with folks um, in the way that we intend? And, you know, does everybody see the value that we're driving? So I think that's that's pretty unique. Thanks. It's um it's uh it's stressful to <laughs> Oh my gosh, it, yeah. It's stressful. But, you know, it's super valuable and, and the time that we've been doing that, you know, it's usually accompanied with a couple of other questions that helps us maybe drill down into where we can improve and that sort of thing. And, and you know, being billing being willing to say, you know, to have a sense of sort of humility about what we're doing, uh, you know, certainly like um openness to feedback. I, I think it's, there's a little bit of like, you know, you've got, you've got to walk the walk kind of idea here, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so, yeah, I think that it just cuts straight to the, straight to the core. You know, if, if we can't, if we can't maintain um, an excellent NPS score with our internal stakeholders, and it's unlikely that we're going to be able to do that for, for other stakeholders that we don't have quite the as tight a relationship with, or we don't know quite as much about. So I think that, it sort of starts as like a, it's a, it's a core discipline, you know, that, that ultimately um, uh, over time, 
you know, really pays large dividends, especially over long time horizons. But it's scary getting those numbers back. <laughs> yeah, that uh, also just like survey style feedback is hard. Um, huge, huge yeah. props to you. <laughs> so for folks listening who maybe are newer to product management, or they're kind of experiencing some of the growing pains that we touched on, do you have any favorite resources where you look to see kind of how other folks in the space think about um, problems as you encounter them? It's it's almost like I look at it almost like if there were a stack overflow for 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 product that would be cool. It's probably Reddit, but um, <laughs> but it's that it's sort of like okay, I know this sorta, but I want to get somebody else's take on it. Is there a thread I can go tap for a, just a couple different points of view on how different people have solved this? And I don't have anything to, honestly that's like that's go to for for someone that is just starting out. Um, in terms of like resources and that sort of thing, um, just a super lame answer, but like, I, I do think the key there though, is not getting too caught up in like too caught up in a methodology, too caught up in a framework to where the tail starts to wag the dog. Mm -hmm. You know, I think, I think the more that you can lean out and really be, um, sort of if you're going to over index on something over index on like maybe um, non-essential like requirements and get more into motivations and that sort of thing. Like mm-hmm. someone would tell you that they want something and it may be true and it may be important, but like, why do they want that? What are, what else are they trying to accomplish? How is this going to affect their, um, you know, their, they or their teams, um, you know, long-term goals is I mean it's it really comes down to like core stuff is curiosity it's it's, it's humility it's uh, empathy it's those sorts of things that when you hit a challenge those are the things that you inevitably fall back on that are ultimately probably more valuable than reading a medium article on the next framework you know a hundred percent yeah I find myself kind of bunging between as a growth marketer who's like relatively I mean I've been doing growth marketing for four years so pretty new. I find myself often being like, oh my gosh, well, I need to read how everyone else is doing this. Like surely there's a best practice. And and in a lot of cases there are, right? Like here's the best way to organize your Google ads campaigns. And this is, you know, tried and true. Sure. Absolutely. But Tasia and I talked about this last month, actually. There's like the best growth marketers are not the best at following a manual they're the best because they've done something that no one else has done before. They've found a new way to provide value in some way. And I think product is similar to that, right? Like it's less about following instructions and doing what worked for other people and more about kind of approaching your work with a sense of creativity and like willingness to try new things. So. Yeah. A hundred percent. It's a great point and, and much better than my answer. <laughs> I would add though for resources, I have been so inspired. Do you read Lenny's newsletter? Uh-huh. It's really good. A must it's just read. Called, yeah, it's just called Lenny's newsletter, um, so, and he also has a podcast. Can you guess what it's called? I mean, there could be so many names. I'll go with Lenny's podcast. Yes, <laughs> bingo! I'll send you a hat. Um, but it's it's so good. I think. I think we're kind of in this space right now, especially with product and growth, where there's just like a lot of yelling on Twitter. Um, mm. And just in general, <laughs> just yelling, just everyone's yelling. Um, 
and you know experts and hot takes and the and, and threads that feel like are written with such urgency that you're like oh my god wait am i doing everything wrong and i find especially lenny's podcast to be so powerful but also like gentle right like you just the way the way the topics are kind of approached are like it just it's it's a delight to listen to so if you haven't listened to it i recommend it this podcast is not sponsored by Lenny's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love a good tip. Yeah, that's yeah. that's cool. I'll go on the playlist. Yeah, for sure. On your uh, non-commute. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> really full circle. From my office to the kitchen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast powered by Gun.io. We drop two episodes per week, so if you like this episode, be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice and come hang out with us again next week and bring all your internet friends. If you have questions or recommendations, just shoot us a Twitter DM at The Frontier Pod, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast, produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to Gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast, and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.